Father, we give you thanks for this morning, for your word, how it enlightens us. It tells us exactly where we have come from and where we are going. You have decided in all your goodness to make it known. And we'd ask, Lord, that you would help us to personalize it, that we might be able to share it with others. And we thank you, Lord, for the guidance of your Holy Spirit who dwells in us, that you have promised never to take away. And, Father, we ask forgiveness for the times that we grieve your Spirit. But we also thank you that he is forever present, ever with us, ever guiding. And we pray for that this morning in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this will be the tenth time I have given you the timeline, the timeline of prophecy. After ten times, you should be fairly familiar with the timeline. I'm going to go through it again. We'll probably go through it a couple more times besides this. Now, remember, we start with Jesus saying every stone will be torn down on the temple when the disciples looked at it and they commented how wonderful the, the stones and the temple, the whole temple was. And Jesus said, verily, verily, I say unto you, not one stone will be left upon another in the King James Version. He said, they will all be torn down and they were amazed. They were taken back and they said, well, when will this happen? That happened in 70 AD with Titus. Titus tore it down and from then the Jews were scattered. That was the beginning of the prophecy in Matthew chapter 24 that Jesus was talking about. So you have 70 AD, the destruction of the temple. The next thing that is going to happen is the Gog Magog invasion slash rapture. The timing of that, I think the invasion personally will start a little bit before. You'll, you'll, you'll see all the members come together. That's why whenever Persia or Iran starts to saber rattle and Russia is doing the same thing and they start coming down on Israel from the north, that's why you always want to perk up and go, well, is this it? I got my tennis shoes on. I'm all ready you know, to, to jump up in the rapture. And that's when the rapture takes place. From that point, the Antichrist will make a treaty that will last, I think he makes it for probably longer, but it's going to last for seven years. That's called the tribulation. First three and a half years, the tribulation. Second three and a half years, the great tribulation. And the middle of that is the abomination which makes desolate out of Daniel chapter 9. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 as well. That's where the Antichrist will stand up, declare himself as God, and be worshipped as such. The Jews will flee at that time, and then he will come back and start to destroy all Israel. He will take out everybody he possibly can. And then the seven years of tribulation will end with the Battle of Armageddon. The Battle of Armageddon is where all armies are gathered, and the Lord comes back. He lands on the Mount of Olives, and once he does that, he establishes his kingdom. He takes Satan and the false prophet cast them into hell and Satan is released after 1,000 years. Christ, when he comes back, he rules for 1,000 years. That's where a child who is 100 or somebody who is 100 will be considered a child when they die, if they die at 100 because people will be living for hundreds of years. God's going to take away most of the law of entropy or the law of decay where everything rusts and we get old, that type of thing. He's taking it away. At the end of the thousand years, for a short period of time, Satan will be released and he will attempt once again to grab the whole world and make the world go against Jesus Christ in a battle. And of course, that's when he's destroyed 
heaven and earth are destroyed at that time and the great white throne judgment, which we just went through. And the great white throne judgment, I'm going to give you those points again real quickly. This is why the earth and the universe are destroyed and removed from all existence. Revelation 20, verse 11, and 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. And we know that the earth does not last forever, nor will our bodies. God has to transform our bodies in order to enter heaven. Then the books are opened and containing every deed of every individual that will be judged at that point. It will be a comprehensive review. That's in Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 through 13. The third point, those whose names are written in the book of life and have accepted God's plan for salvation, they will enter into the kingdom after that. And the fourth point, those whose names are not written in the book of life and have not accepted God's plan for salvation, they will enter into eternal punishment and contempt. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, and Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, have those doctrines laid out. And then going on from there, the sixth point, those whose names are written in the book of life will shine like the stars, Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, and Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Number seven, every knee will bow to Jesus and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I believe it will happen at that point. Number eight, and the final point under the great white throne judgment, everyone will give an account of themselves. That's where they're going to have to stand before God and say, God, this is what I did. And we also will appear before the Bema Seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, which is not the great white throne judgment. And we will also tell the Lord, well, Lord, this is what I did. But we are saved. And he goes, okay, well, here's your reward. And the more you do, the more reward you get. And I, I don't think it's going to be stuff that we're going to get. I think it'll be probably positions of authority, that type of thing, and other blessings as well. And so that is the great white throne judgment at the very end, the Bema seat, which is not the great white throne judgment, which we will appear before, and that happens at the time of the rapture. Then there is the new heaven and the new earth. Now, Scripture has a little bit to say about this, and why don't you take your Bibles and open up to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. I'm going to start reading through there. There are several points that he makes about the new heaven and the new earth. And we just want to go through those to see what he says. You know, just a point before we actually dive into that. When I used to read this, when I first became a Christian, I was amazed. I was just amazed. And I, I listened to, right before I got saved, I listened to a Bible teacher on the radio. And he would talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And the Lord drew me to that. I wanted... What do you mean what's going to happen in the future? And he would talk about those and he would talk about the book of Revelation. And then I'd sit back and I'd read it and I'd say, no way. This is just weird. This is like leprechauns, you know, type of thing. And I, I, it was hard for me to grab hold of that. And people that are in the world, they also, they look at it and they just say, you're kidding me, right? I mean, look, everything has existed just as it has from the beginning. <laughs> Scripture even says people will say that, and they will not be able to detect the truth that you might be telling them unless God draws them. Uh, a side note, I've been doing these Zooms that I've told you about 
people on the East Coast. There's not very many. There's a few. And it may increase a little bit. Different people will come in. And at one point, I'm going to tell them about the future, what the future has in store. Right now, they're asking different questions about heaven and hell and are they forever, are they not forever, and what should I do? And one person was a Catholic, and they're asking, well, how do I make the transition from Catholicism to just following Christ in the Bible? That's the type of question that they have. Or, you know, what about these people who have never heard the gospel? And hopefully we would all be able to answer that for them. Romans chapter 1 says men are without excuse, and I would take them to the Scripture. But when I take them to this stuff, they're probably going to go, you're telling me my body's going to go to the clouds. Yes. And it's going to be changed. Yes. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Yes. And they're like demons. Yes. Do you see how somebody in the world would go, right. But if they're saved, the Lord's going to open their heart or if the Lord is drawing them. And so this stuff is very important because it tells us of our destiny. Who doesn't want to know the future? Every, I, lottery numbers. Just once, Lord. Just give me the numbers. You know, something like that. They used to have programs. One was the Chicago Sun-Times where the guy would get the newspaper the day before. And he would try to stop crimes from being committed. What a, a great thing that could happen if we just knew the future and God doesn't want us to know the future except for this. So he put it down and he, he spread it out over several different books so that we would have it down so we can tell people of the judgment to come and the way to escape it. So going on with that, Revelation chapter 21 verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven, and by the way, this is after the great white throne judgment. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, I don't know if that means there's no lakes and there's no rivers. I believe there are rivers. Scripture talks about rivers. Where they're flowing to, I don't know. What they, they deposit themselves in or if they just go back in the ground. I, I have no idea what's going to go on, but the oceans that we have today are not going to exist in the future. And as far as the size of the new earth, it, it, I think it's going to be bigger than what we have here today. Uh, it's just going to be a unique time. So there will be, number one, a new heaven and a new earth. And then number two, if you take your finger, put it in Revelation 21, and turn over to Isaiah 65. We're going to be in verse 17 of Isaiah 65. And the point that is made here, is the former things, the first heaven and the first earth, will not be remembered, nor the people which are there. Isaiah 65 and verse 17 says, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. And I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and, and of crying will be heard no more. And so this is Isaiah. Thousands of years ago wrote about this. We also have it in the book of Revelation. But the former things will not be remembered. So all the people, whether it's family members, whether it's children, 
cousins, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, acquaintances, even strangers. We will not remember any of them if they don't know Christ. And we will know all of them who do know Christ. You won't have to go up to them and say, what was your name again? Like we do in church. You know, you told me, but I just can't remember what it is. We're not going to have that problem. Our memory is going to be perfect. I read a little article the other day. There are 11 people in the world that can remember every single detail of everything they have ever experienced. I would think that would kind of be a curse. Not really a blessing, but they remember everything. They have better than a photographic memory, and that's, that's how it will be there, but we will have only good things that we will remember, so that's going to be a real blessing. Number three, Jesus and all the saints will live there. That means us. Revelation, turn back over there, chapter 21, in verse 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's amazing what our God has done. He didn't say, Yeah, you're going to come to my place. No. He makes his place with us. Talk about an act of humility. If you want to reach somebody, if you don't want to love somebody, You move in with them. You don't make them come to you and you assist them unless you're a billionaire, Elon Musk or something like that. But the point is you go and you live with them, you help them, you love them, and God has become one of us and will be one of us forever. Now, I've heard this analogy before. A guy up at Applegate Christian Fellowship, he said, now imagine God becoming just like us. That would be like us going and becoming like an ant and then being an ant forever and always being an ant. Well, Jesus becomes like us. Now, the Gentiles, they were considered dogs. Now, if you had to be a dog, what kind of dog would you be? A mastiff, a beagle, a golden retriever, just always happy, you know, shaking everywhere. Jesus didn't do that. He became like a chihuahua. You know, he, he became the lowliest. He was the servant of all. He was not a German shepherd or something like that. You know, a dog that could protect you. He was, he was like this lowliest of the lowly. That's who he became. And he's going to be like that forever. And he's going to elevate us to being a chihuahua. Now, well, you understand the point. It's not just a chihuahua. He's, he's elevating us to be like him, but he became us and is going to be us forever. And another thing that this Chuck Missler used to say, the marvelous thing about God is not that there's now God who sits on the throne. A man sits on the throne of God. He has become a man. Now, it doesn't mean he's not God. He is, but now a man sits on the throne of God. So Jesus and all the saints will live there. That's point number three. Point number four, I already alluded to this in Isaiah. Suffering, sorrow, and death will no longer exist. Revelation chapter 21, verse four. He will wipe every tear or wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. 
He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Now, I don't have this in my notes, but look down. I think it's verse 16. Who is speaking there? Is it verse 16? Begins with first person, singular, I. Chapter 22, verse 16. Did I get it wrong? Oh, you're in 21. Go to 22, verse 16. Who is speaking there? Jesus is speaking there. And if you go back in the first part of chapter uh, 22, he says he is the first and the last. So the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, who is that? That's Jesus. I just want to make sure that you know that the God of the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6, says I'm the first and the last, I'm the alpha and the omega, that type of thing. It's in Isaiah. Well, Jesus is claiming to be the God of the Old Testament when you read the New Testament, specifically in the, in the book of Revelation. So I, you could probably circle that where he says, I, Jesus, and prior to that, in the beginning of the chapter, I think it's around verse 12, uh, he says that he is the first and the last. So that's just a side note there. So no more suffering, sorrow, and death. And then the fifth point, evil and evildoers will no longer exist. Revelation 21, verse 8, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Recently, you know how uh, you go and you read news or something. I like to read news on the Internet. And then you'll see little clips of maybe a violent attack. And I clicked on that, and it took me to the sites that have all of these. Uh, I forget what the heading was. The heading was something along the line of people losing it. And the violence that all, and there were hundreds of them, where somebody would just get off, they would punch somebody, they would shoot somebody, they would stab somebody, they would get in their car and just wreak mayhem in the car. And this is all over the world, these different events where the violence is everywhere. In our little community here, how often do we see acts of violence? Not very much. Maybe somebody will shake their fist at you or something else in the car when they're driving by because they don't like the way you drive. But that's usually the extent of it. But there's real mayhem taking place throughout the world and God sees all of it. And that wasn't even counting the wars inside the wars that we currently have in the entire world. Just people are getting killed, they're getting maimed, they're being harmed in all kinds of ways and evil people are perpetrating these crimes. The thefts that are out there, you go to Cambodia or someplace like that and there'll be two guys riding on a scooter a moto is what they call it, and they'll see somebody walking down the street, especially a woman with a purse, and they'll stop right next to her. They have helmets on. They'll go, they'll take her purse, they get back on the moto, and they take off. Robberies like that all the time that are over there, or cell phones, we were told in Africa, do not stick your cell phone out of the van to take a picture, especially in a city. 
because people will come and they'll just snatch it right out of your hand. You know, the, everything that we consider evil is going on in our world. We just don't see all of it. If you saw what God saw, his patience is enduring forever. I think that if it were me, I would have said, that's it, we're done. But the violence we know is going to increase in the end times, and it's just heading in that direction. Sixth point, there will be a new city called Jerusalem. Not the Jerusalem you know in the nation of Israel, but a new one. Revelation chapter 21, verse 2 says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, how many of you have a colored Christmas tree or colored lights at your house? Raise your hand. Yeah, we do too. Now, those lights, especially the new LEDs, you look at those and go, man, those are bright and beautiful. I, I love the look of those new LEDs or, or the icicle ones that hang and they drop all the colors on them. Imagine those colors and how bright they are but make the brightness about a hundred times. And that's what we're going to read about here. Revelation 21, verse 9. One of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel like a jasper clear as crystal it had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of israel there were three gates on the east three on the north three on the south and three on the west the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with a rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia. Now, I think I've said 1,500 miles before uh, that would be the, the length of this. It's 1,380 miles to be specific or 2,200 kilometers. Now, if you had a measuring rod and you have 1,380 miles, one, two, three, how long is it going to take you to count 1,380 miles? That's a long time. How long was he there? Or how fast did it go? Or, you know, I have no idea how to tie this stuff together. You just look at this. I had a measuring rod. What was it? A thousand miles long? (laughs) Measure the city. I have no idea, but the descriptions that are given there, you try to put them together and say, well, how is this done practically? We can't do that. This is a spiritual place that God has created. It's a spiritual environment, so it's hard to relate it to what we're going through today. In length... And as wide and high as it was long. So it was a cube or a cube pyramid type structure. We, we don't know exactly what, but it's certainly cube in its shape. It says he measured its wall and it was, it says 144 cubits. That's 200 feet thick. That's quite a wall. I don't know if we have to be protected against anything. I don't think we do. Scripture says we won't. But 200 foot thick. 
That's a huge wall by man's measurement and the, which the angel was using. And the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, sounds like Pacific Beach, the fifth uh, sardonyx the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great, city, the, the great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So that's the description and jewels all around. Now, it's not the old-style monarchical crown that has the jewels that are in it. I mean, these jewels are... How big would they be? A mile? Here's a diamond, or here's a sapphire. It's a mile, or it's 10 miles, or it's 50 miles. Remember, it's 1,500... Excuse me. 1,380 miles of this stuff. And the walls are high, and they're 200 feet thick. This place is huge. And this is going to be our new home. This is where we're going. This is where we're going to end up. And, you know, when you get your little flat, if you're going to have a flat, I don't think it's going to have a bedroom because you're not going to need to sleep. You're going to go there and go, whoa, and you want water? I don't know if you're going to need water. I don't. Food, probably. You won't have to have a refrigerator. Nothing's going to spoil. I mean, if you start thinking about all of this stuff... Well, I want to go to the, uh, the place, the throne room where Jesus is. How will you get there? Will you walk or you just transport? Bzzz, just right there. You walk. I have no idea, but it's going to be just, we're going to look at each other and say, dude, and you're going to go, dude, it's going to be an amazing place up there. This is what we're looking forward to. And so when you look at your Christmas tree, the little lights go, that's just an atom compared to what we're going to see, the brightness and the beauty and the colors that are going to be up there. Number seven, there will no longer be a sun or a moon. Revelation chapter 21, verse 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. In Revelation 22, verse 5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or a light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Then eight, number eight, or the eighth point, God will still maintain separate nations. Now, this is kind of unique. You, you hear the songs, we are the world, or, we are one. Uh, it's not going to be that way. God wants the different races. If you have the Anglos, if you have the Chinese, if you have the blacks, and you name whatever indigenous tribe you want to name, the Mongolians, God wants the separate nations. He, he created us to be like that. That isn't part of the fall. And he's going to maintain that in heaven. Revelation chapter 21, verse 24. Nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will, will ever 
enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And we make attempts to get rid of the borders, to get rid of the race. There is a new store that is opening up. Of course, you probably knew this is coming, but it's just repackaged. There's a new store that is offering unisex clothing that there is no distinction between men and women and what they wear. Now, there is already that going on, like coats. There are coats that are they're non-gender specific, that you could put them on and a guy could wear it or a woman could wear it. It doesn't make any difference. But they're gearing this towards the LGBTQRSTUVWXYZ community that is, that is in New York City, and they want to make sure that we are all the same that we look the same, that we act the same, that privileges are the same, that we equal out everything. And that is impossible to do. But that is, I believe, the system of the Antichrist. God wants our differences. Do you think it was a mistake that he created the tallest people in the world and the shortest people in the world? Do you know what country has the tallest people in the world? Amsterdam. Six foot one on average, that means there are many people who are over seven foot. And I told you once going through the, the airport in Amsterdam, there were giants in the land when I, when I went through there. Do you know what country has the shortest people in the world on average? Bolivia, four foot 11 on average. That means there's many people who are four foot Many people who are five foot. If we go there, most of us who are here, we will be giants in the land, walking through the land. But God wants the different sizes, heights, colors. He wants all of that. And we want to erase that. And that's the system of the Antichrist. God wants the distinction of the nations and the people that are there. Our strengths are because God creates us differently, right? If you have a basketball game, you don't want somebody from Bolivia being on your team. You want somebody from Amsterdam being on your team. Or, for instance, running. Where are the fastest runners in the world from? It's like Nigeria and Africa. They run, and they can run like it's no problem. Yeah, that was only 30 miles. You want to keep going? They can just go. They have this endurance. They're incredible in that. Now, which countries are really excellent in science and math? The Asian countries. I saw this other video. It was in a a school class setting where a young uh, Asian woman, she got her test back and she looks at it and the score is on there and she throws her head down into the desk and puts her hand down like that and she's just all distraught. And then you see the score. It's 98 out of 100. And she is just so disappointed that she got 98 out of 100. You know, I was going, whoa, boy, you know, 98 out of 100, that would be excellent. But they, the Asian countries, they really push for that. The science in India, they're excellent at that. If you go up to North County and like the Illumina uh, states up there, the, the buildings that are up there, the, the, the tech, uh, Illumina is involved in the genome project. Um, that's another thing that they just did. They combined a monkey and a pig. Did you see that? They have two of those out there. Anyhow, going on, that, they are geared towards that. And there's a large population of Asians and a large population of those from India because that's what they're really good at. 
What are we good at as a country? Capitalism, working hard. That's what we do. Are there countries that are kind of lazy? There are countries that are kind of lazy. And so there are things that deal with our psyche. There are things that deal with our strengths physically and our weakness physically. And God, he wants all of that. And so he's going to maintain that. Now going on, God's throne will be in the New Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 1. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of water of life. Now see, there is a river there. As clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. I can't imagine how big this great street is going to be. It's going to be twice as big at least than the city of Disney. Going on on each... What is, what is that called up there? It's not called city of Disney. What's it called? Main Street. No, not Main Street. The one that's off to the side. It's not even in the park where they have all the shops and everything. Downtown Disney, yeah, it's going to be at least twice as wide as that. Uh, Let's go on. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. So we do have a river, the river of the water of life that is going to be flowing from there. And if you can imagine one thing in the landscape industry that they like to uh, have out there in new uh, landscapes, especially in high-end homes, are water features. Because the water features, you have the water flowing. It adds to everything in the landscape. If you have the lighting, they have different heights and colors and things like that in gardens. They're really good at this up in Canada and some places in the northern regions even of our state. But if you put all that together and then you have the sound of that, It's very soothing. Now imagine what a river flowing from God's throne is going to sound like. You're going to hear the sound of rushing waters coming down. You're going to see trees up there that are going... And they're not going to be like the trees that we see. They're probably going to be illuminated in some fashion. I don't know, maybe from the inside out. Remember, the city is crystal clear as glass. And the foundations are multicolors, which are in there. And it's, It's marvelous. It's going to be loud. Uh, It's going to be a great time up there. So the throne will be in the city of New Jerusalem. The 10th point, God's people will be performing tasks for Jesus and his name will be written upon them. It says in verse 4 of Revelation chapter 22, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads right here. Now what uh, movie... What uh, series on television? Uh, maybe you saw it, maybe you didn't. Remember Stargate? That guy had the thing on his head. I never watched it much, the, the series, but I remember him having that thing on his head. And we're going to have some type of indication on our foreheads, uh, and it's going to tell us that we are members of God. Everyone's going to know. Everyone's going to see it. But also, Revelation chapter 2, verse 17 says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. So you get a rock. And on this rock, your name's going to be written, but you're going to be the only one who knows it. It's your personal name. Now we have God's name up here, but then it's our personal name. Now what he's going to use that for, I don't quite know but going on verse 11 it says 
I'm sorry, I got lost there for a second. It says, there will no longer be a sun or a moon. I think I got this one before. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. This is verse 6 of Revelation chapter 22. The Lord, the God of the spirits and of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. But we, we understand that there is going to be no more sun, no more moon, no oceans up there. And we will live forever in eternal bliss with God. That's the way we're going to live out all of our existence. Now, God is going to give us some tasks to do. We're not going to be sitting on clouds playing harps with angel wings on our backs, that type of thing. Remember, Clarence, I I saw most of that movie the other day. It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart, and Clarence gets his wings. We don't get wings up there. We're going to be clothed in white. We're going to be shining on the outside, and God is going to give us something to do for all of eternity. We're going to be doing something for him or many things for him, and we're going to be learning from him. And whether he sets us outside the gates of the city for whatever reason, because the gates are open, we may go somewhere and do something. We're going to come right back. We'll always be in contact with him. We'll never be out of contact with the Holy Spirit. If you've ever tried listening for the voice of God, just his direction, you know, it's, it's very, very faint or a verse comes to mind, that type of thing. Up there, you'll say, Jesus, what do you want me to do here? Well, this is what I want you to do. And you're, okay, thanks. And you could be a million miles away. You'll, you'll know exactly what his will is. And if you have a question, I'm sure you'll be able to ask it at that time. So there, up to this point, there's been a lot of bad news. But there is good news for us. And that's what the gospel is. We get to exist in a place that is full of bliss, love, harmony, no pain, no more sorrow. And we're supposed to tell everybody about this. If we don't tell somebody when we have the opportunity, I I believe it's a sin. What we know to do that is good and we fail to do it to him, it is sin, Scripture says. That's Bill's paraphrase, but that's what it says. And so if we have the opportunity to share the gospel, to tell people what's going to come in the future, and it can be all theirs, all they have to do is submit to Jesus Christ, why wouldn't we do that? So my encouragement with this portion of the scripture is we need to be vocal about our faith. We need to tell people about the condition of humanity, which is it is fallen, it is under a curse, and there is a remedy for it. Now with that, let's go to Matthew chapter 24. Since we haven't been there in 10 weeks, we're going to go back there. Matthew 24 in verse 1. And this is the whole reason I went through the timeline so that we have a context for what is listed here because these things that are listed are not in chronological order. It doesn't follow one after the other. He even says at one point, and before all this, and so he kind of hops around when he's describing what's going to take place in the end times. But we'll start in verse 1 again. It says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, 
Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth things. And we have been over this already, but I just want to, again, put it in context. In other words, there's going to be both local wars and worldwide wars and famines and earthquakes. And these are not the end. They are only the beginning of the end. This is repeated. This warning is repeated in Luke chapter 21. Turn over there real fast. Luke chapter 21 in verse 7 through 11. The exact same thing is really communicated except through different eyes. Verse 7. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived for many will come in my name claiming I am he... And the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and rumors, or excuse me, wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. That is not the precursor to the destruction of the temple. He jumped way ahead to the tribulation period. If you stay in Luke and look at verse 12, he says, but before all this, so see, it's not in chronological order. He is in the tribulation, then he jumps back to the time that Israel is going to be destroyed. It says, but before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors, and all on account of my name. And this would be the persecution of the Christians. They will, this will result in your being witnesses to them, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relatives, friends, and they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. Then verse 20 says, When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. And so he told them, he, he, he talks about the tribulation, then he says, But before all this, before... Israel gets destroyed, Jerusalem and the temple. Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by armies. Now, this is an historic fact that took place. In 66 AD, a Jewish revolt broke out against the Romans. There was this Roman general, Cestus Gallus, or Gallus, and he was in Caesarea. He took his army and surrounded Jerusalem. All the way around Jerusalem, nobody could leave the city, and it was a walled city at that time. And he was going to put it under siege for a long period of time. But he did not have enough supply or the supply chain in order to accomplish that. So he picked up and he went back to Caesarea. In, in travel to Caesarea, the Jewish army killed this guy. So this was in AD 66. They killed this general. And so they were not able to put Jerusalem under siege once again. But then just a little bit later in 68, the Roman general Vespasian and his son Titus came and laid siege to Jerusalem. And it was in 70 AD that it fell. Prophecy was fulfilled. We even have a physical marker that displays this. John, do you have that first one? This is called 
the Arch of Titus. This is in Rome. It is 1,935 years old. And it speaks of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Show them the next picture. This is on the side of the Arch of Titus. You see the menorah that's up there? That menorah is being carried back to Rome and it depicts the battle in A.D. 70 where Jerusalem was ransacked and the temple was destroyed. So if somebody wants to say, it never took place, it's right there and it's in Rome. And you can see the fact that God, Jesus Christ, was telling us the truth. It was prophetic that it would take place. Now, going on with this, now that you've seen that, Matthew, a reiteration of uh, Luke 21, verse 17, and Matthew chapter 24, verse 9, says, Then you will be handed over and persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. And so this is a point where they are dispersed. It's another what is known as a diaspora. They're dispersed among the nations. And then anti-Semitism rises at that point, and it has never gone down. And it will only escalate during the tribulation period where the Jews are going to be a hated group. Now, going back to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 10, he goes back to the time of the end. So he was in the tribulation. Then he goes to when the destruction of the temple is going to place in 70 AD. Then he comes back to the time of the end in verse 10. He says, at that time, many will turn from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase in wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. And so the gospel needs to go out. It isn't something that we're supposed to refrain from. We're supposed to go and be witnesses. And this is why we support missions. It's to fulfill this. Now, this is also going to take place during the tribulation period. That's where the fulfillment of the worldwide gospel, or the gospel going out to the world, the complete world, that's when it will be accomplished, is at that time. You're also going to have 144,000 Jews who are evangelists. Romans, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 7 or Revelation chapter 14 talks about these evangelists. And they will not be detoured, or deterred because the, Satan will not be able to harm them because they're going to have the mark on their foreheads of God. And we are supposed to go out and be witnesses. Matthew chapter 28 verse 18. It says... Then Jesus came to them and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is our primary task as a church, is to make disciples. But before you can make a disciple, you have to do some evangelism. So you go out, you evangelize, and then you make disciples. And all of us are supposed to go on to maturity where we understand the basic doctrines of the Christian faith and able to explain them to others. Once the gospel has been preached, then the world comes to an end. That's where Jesus comes back. Now, the gospel being preached, you know, there's one last person who has to get saved for the rapture to happen. What are we doing? Let's find that last person, give them the gospel, and we're out of here. We don't have to stay around any longer. But also, the end, the tribulation, 
All of that ends when the gospel goes out to the whole world during the tribulation period and the numbers are greatly decreased and the evangelists will accomplish this and all the Christians who believe will also be evangelists at that time. They will be so on fire. I'm sure the Holy Spirit will indwell them as well and they will be tremendous witnesses for Christ. Then he jumps in verse 15 to the middle of the tribulation period. He says, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Now, remember, this is a reference. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. This is a reference to Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, again, written thousands of years ago. It says, no one understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench in times of trouble after 62 sevens. The anointed one will be cut off. That's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. The desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. That's the seven year tribulation period. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So we have this at different times in history where we are told the abomination of desolation is coming and it is in the middle of the tribulation period. It goes on to talk about the Jews and what they're going to have to do. It says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof go down or go excuse me, of his house, go down and take anything out of his house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. And so once this guy goes into the temple, declares himself as God, that's where the Jews are told, get out of the city. And they flee to the mountains. Uh, If you've been to Israel or if you've seen pictures of it, If you leave Jerusalem directly east, you head towards Jericho. Once you hit Jericho, you have the plain that goes all the way across to Jordan, and you can see Jordan and the mountains in the distance where Petra is located. If you ever have a chance in your life to go to Petra, I would encourage you. Maybe next week I'll show you some pictures of that. It's a fantastic city. There were tens of thousands that lived there, and it's all carved out of the hills. There's just rooms. There's a temple in Petra as well that you would recognize if I showed you the picture. But apparently, this is where they're going to be fleeing to. Now, we're going to go through this a little bit more. I'll review these other points uh, right here that I've just gone through. But this is the destiny of the nation of Israel. And we're going to finish, Lord willing, Matthew chapter 24 this next week. And he tells us with specificity what is going to take place. And so if you ever get a chance to go to Jerusalem, you say, wow, Jesus is going to be walking around here. Wow, this is where the tribulation is going to be. Wow, the Antichrist is going to be walking around here. We know it's in the future. How far in the future? Well, we'll just keep on watching and waiting. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you so much for telling us what's going to happen. But also, Father, we know that we are prompted by your Spirit to tell others to be a witness. And help us, Lord, with this information to live so that we might be those witnesses. 
Help us to forsake the things of this life, this world, this system. For you have said anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So help us, Lord, to fall in love with what is to come, specifically Jesus. We thank you again for your word. In his name we pray. And everyone said.